0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the Epistle to the Colossians. And we're privileged tonight to resume our study of the doctrine of the church, and this is one of those subjects that I really—it's uh, really near and dear to my heart. I, I grew up with a, a real sense of the importance of being in a true church, and when I say that, I mean this is one of the things that we really strongly dwelt on: was to make sure that we were in the kind of church that Christ started, in the church that Christ built. And that is a necessary thing for us as Christians. Uh, The church is God's plan for the world in the present time. The scripture says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. And so we would have a hard time going along with any idea like this, that just because people can get a group together and they can rent a place to meet and they have a, a few people following them, that that qualifies them to be a church. Now, in our very first study, we talked about the true New Testament church, and we learned that it's more than an idea. It's more than a wing and a prayer. It takes more than that to, to be a true church. But that be as it may, we, we do want to make sure that as a church, we do what Christ has commanded. And so we've taken up this study, and in particular tonight, the study of the ministry of the church. Now, our text is from Colossians chapter 1 which I have described as the Bible's most comprehensive text on what the church is called to do. And so I would encourage you at uh, a later time to read this entire passage of Scripture. We read that in the first uh, first, um, message on the ministry of the church, but we're not going to read all of it tonight, but rather I I want to concentrate on just a few verses because that's the part that we're going to talk about Uh, And as I've told you before, this is a hard passage to break into because it's one flowing thought. But we're going to start reading at verse number 20, and I want you to pay particular attention to verse 23, uh, verse 28, and verse number 29. So Paul says in the 20th verse, "...and having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven... And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, before we get to the verses that I want to use for our text tonight. I'd like to just give you again the first three points of our outline. And we began with the ministry of the church, the primary ministry of the church. That was the first point that, that we made, and that is our ministry is a ministry of exaltation, that the chief purpose for us as a church in all that we do is to glorify Christ. Man was created for the glory of God, and that's brought home to us in a most striking way that we read here in verses 16 through 18, where it says that Christ created all things, whether they are visible or invisible, all thrones, all dominions, all principalities, and all powers. It says they were created by him and for him. And we can easily understand what Paul means when he says that all things were created by him. Christ created all But what does he mean when the Bible says that all of it was created for him? Well, it must be that the creation does something for him. Well, none of the things that are in the creation could actually make him more than what he is because he's the creator. And so he created all things as a display of his infinite power so that he might have a creation that would honor that magnificent power. And so that's why we have a creation Creation is for the glory of God, and all that does not glorify God must be destroyed. Now, in the final consummation of the ages, God has determined that he will bring all of creation back to its original purpose, that he will redeem the entire earth from the curse of sin, and all of creation will then sing the praises of God. Well, since Christ started the church, we couldn't think of any higher purpose that he would uh, begin a church for, ...than this, that we would be here to glorify him. And so that's what we do. And every action that we take and every sermon that we preach... ...every song that we sing, every prayer that we pray... ...our chief objective is to glorify Christ... ...and every ministry that we have into the church... ...flows upward into that main, a very important, superior purpose. Well, since Christ will be glorified... ...he's only going to be glorified by that which is perfect... ...and what is in accordance with his divine will... And so in verse number 20, the scripture says that Christ will reconcile all things to himself. So that's the second work that the church does. The church is here with a ministry of reconciliation. That Christ will reconcile all things to himself. And he must do that because, as I've just mentioned in the final assize, anything that isn't reconciled will be destroyed. Well, this passage really is interesting because it reveals to us two different types of reconciliation. One is the reconciliation of the earth, which means that the physical planet that consists of all animal life and vegetative life, that will be brought back to him. And then the other reconciliation is the removal that of the enmity that exists between man and God. Now, the Bible shows us that there is a, a breach between man and God. The highest order of the creation is man, and man has a hostility towards God because of the fall. There's hatred towards God, and so there is no peace with him. So the church has been uh, charged with this responsibility of reconciliation in order that we might show people how that peace can be made with God. Now, in the case of the first reconciliation, we don't have a part in that. Uh, That happens in the future. The Scripture says in Romans that the whole creation groans waiting for redemption. All of creation waits for God to lift that curse that was caused by Adam in the fall. And God cursed it all. He cursed the ground. He caused it to bring forth thorns and thistles. He cursed the animal kingdom and caused that to be predator and prey. But that part of the curse will be lifted during the millennial reign of Christ when he comes to rule the earth in perfect peace. So once again, at that time, the entire earth will become another virtual garden of Eden as the as the ground brings forth its fruit bountifully. And then there'll be no adversity in the animal kingdom. Uh, Scripture says the lion will lay down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw like an ox. Children will have no fear of poisonous snakes because the venom will be neutralized. So God's going to take all of that conflict away. Well, there's nothing that we do to assist God as the creator changes the world back into the way it was when it was first created before the curse. That happens all under the power of God. It happens in the future, and we don't know when in the future it's going to happen. We just accept it as a promise that God has made to his people. But the other reconciliation, God has chosen to give us a part, that God has allowed us to have a part in that, and that's one of the purposes of the existence of the church is that God might use it as one of his means to implement the reconciling of man to him. Now, God could have done that alone. He could have done it just like he did, uh, will do the rest of the creation. But instead, he's chosen to give us a stewardship uh, of this ministry to help him bring about that reconciliation. Now, that has to be done. Because as I've just mentioned, God's going to destroy all things that are enmity with him. Christ will be glorified. And he can't be glorified by sin. And so he uses us to bring the glory of salvation to man, the chief in creation. And through that, God receives his greatest glory. When the highest order of creation, which is man, learns who God is and that we need to worship him, that's when God receives his greatest glory. Well, in order to do that, there must be a third ministry of the church. And this is how reconciliation is accomplished. It's accomplished by the ministry of salvation. So reconciliation is achieved through the precious blood of Christ. It is the blood that cleanses people from sin. And the ministry of salvation is the preaching of the cross. It's the, uh, the preaching of the gospel of Christ which tells us about this precious blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us. Now, Jesus said to go into all of the world and to preach this gospel. And that's because he's determined that he will save a people out of all of the nations of this earth. So every kindred, every tribe, every nation will be represented among the redeemed that are in heaven... And so the ministry of salvation is given to us. It's the, it's the preaching of the gospel to all these different people that they might understand the real Christ, the one who's the way, the truth, and the life, and how that he's provided salvation for us. So all of those that just decide to get a crowd together and they go and rent some space and they start a church... They're not true churches unless they've been given that authority through or by Jesus Christ and they preach a true gospel. Now, the unfortunate part of that is that the world today lies in wickedness because most of these places don't preach a true gospel. They preach a false gospel. But the true gospel, of course, as we know, is that salvation can be had in Christ through, through faith in him and faith alone, that he is the way, the truth, and the life and that only Jesus can save, and Jesus does it alone. We can't help him save, but we can help get the message out. Now, neither we nor the ones that we try to reach have anything at all to do with the salvation of their soul, but what we can do is tell them what God demands from them. God demands repentance and faith, that he, they, they must repent of sin and have faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Well, that brings me to the last ministry that I want to discuss with you. Uh, Christ has called us to a ministry of exaltation and a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of salvation. And then the fourth one that we'll deal with is that God has called us to a ministry of edification, a ministry of edification. And when people are saved, they're to be baptized and they're to be brought into the membership of the church. And I don't really see that as an option. I mean, in the New Testament, we don't find that there are any unattached believers. They were all members of the church, uh, and this is what the apostles and the others did. They brought these people, they gathered them into churches, like the one that Paul's writing here to Colossae, in order that they might learn to do the very same things that the apostles were doing, which is what we're talking about tonight, that they might have a part in all these different ministries that we've discussed. Now, you'll notice in verse number 28 that Paul said that he preached in the wisdom of God so that he could present his converts perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, the word perfect there means mature. Now, what he was doing was making mature believers. In verse number 23, it was to establish them in the faith so they would be rooted and grounded in the faith. Now, the Great Commission contains that part of the work of the church when it says that we are to disciple people and teach them to obey all things that Christ has commanded. Well, why do we want them to obey all things Christ commanded? Well, it's in order that they would glorify God with their lives. So they would learn how to deal with sin. They learn how to get sin out. They would learn how to be holy. Holiness is the way that God is glorified. So when we're sanctified and when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that is done in order to bring Christ his greatest glory. Now, we've discussed in the first part how the church exalts Christ by being the pillar and the ground of the truth. We uphold the truth of the Word of God. And as Paul says here, we ground people in the truth. And he tells us, This is done so that they won't be blown away by every wind of doctrine. This is how he described it in the book of Ephesians. He said, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, even christ now that is our job we are to teach the whole counsel of god's word in order to establish christians in the faith well that means that there needs to be a true church of christ that's raised in every generation one that holds to true doctrine and that's the way that christ preserves his church he's done it through all these years by faithful pastors and teachers that stuck to the truth of God's Word. They preached it without reservation, and they gave it to every generation. Now, that is one reason, folks, why we need to be so concerned about holding on to our young people. Now, you need to be concerned as parents about how you raise your children in the truth and make sure that they're in church in order to hear and learn God's Word. Now, many parents fail at this, and you can look at young people and you can see it. How are we to preserve the doctrines of the church for another generation if we don't do this? If we don't bring children in to hear the word of God taught and learn the truth, how are we going to preserve this for another generation? And we wonder about this. Why aren't there more young men that are surrendering to the ministry? And why aren't there more young ladies that are, that are chaste and holy and looking to serve Christ by becoming wives of pastors and missionaries. And if they aren't marrying preachers, then why why aren't our young people, as they get married, digging down and establishing new families that will carry on the doctrines of the faith? Now, if Christ should tarry his coming, we must prepare the next generation for the work of the ministry. So the ministry of the church is edification as we prepare soldiers to enter into the warfare for Christ. Now, what we have to do as a church, we must invade the enemy territory. Uh, We must teach our children and equip them how to fight this battle because we have a very determined, persistent enemy. Now, that's what we're doing with outreach ministries. You know, one of the things that, that has really thrilled me through the outreach ministries, I love to see the adults come and quite frankly, more of you ought to be there. But I love to see the adults come, but more, almost more than that, I really love to see the children, how the children have latched on to this. And they, and they watch some of the things that, that we're doing, and they're really anxious about this, to be able to share something with someone, to give them a gospel track or whatever. I really like to see that. It's good for us to teach the children early in life to get engaged in this battle for the Lord. Now, if you wonder when you come to church, why is it that I always preach so many doctrinal sermons? And why, why don't I get up here and tell you all kinds of fuzzy, feel-good stories before you go home? Well, this is the reason. We have to discipline people in the Word of God in order to, uh, for them to withstand the attacks of Satan. And that's why Paul says that we have to be grounded and settle in the faith so they will not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, I like this, this quote. From Buell Kazee, uh, he was an old family friend of ours. Died many, many years ago, but he wrote a great book entitled "The Church and the Ordinances." And in his book, he said, "From the very nature of the function of the Church of Christ, it is inevitable that many saved people will not be active or even enrolled in one. A true church is a disciplined body bound to a doctrine." It's not a place for believers to lounge and casually identify themselves as citizens of heaven. It is a body of activity with serious responsibilities and a message that lost men need desperately. As the habitation of God here in this world through the person of the Spirit, a church becomes the place from which and the body through which the Most High God speaks his message to a lost world. It is charged with the responsibility of carrying the message of life. As long as there is preaching to be done, the churches have work to do. When the preaching is all done, the mission of the church is over. A church is first and last a preaching institution. Now, that's why, above all else, we emphasize the pulpit ministry in Berean Baptist Church. But we're living in a time when the last thing, it seems, that people are looking for is preaching. They want to do away with the preaching, shorten the preaching time, give us something else. Preaching is what the Word of God uses, or what God uses through His Word, to exhort and and to convict people of their sin, and to encourage Christians to do the work that Christians need to do. But sadly, most Christians don't want the exhortation. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't even want to be told how to live their lives. They don't want to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling them how they should live. Now, we've talked about the salvation of souls as a ministry of the church. That's very important for us. But the ministry of the church is also the salvation of lives. And that's what edification is. If you want to make note of that, that's what edification is. It is the salvation of lives. Lives that can be used in the service of the Lord. Now, Jesus spoke of the salvation of lives in Matthew 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Here's what Christians need to do. We need to follow Christ to the cross. We need to go there, and we need to give up everything for him and for his service, just like he gave up everything for the salvation of souls. What we must do is to nail our own ambitions and our own selfishness to his cross and become the living sacrifice that he demands in scriptures such as Romans 12, verse number 1. And so this is what we do. We keep people on the straight and narrow, and we train them to be used in God's service. Well, there are different ways that Christians can be edified through the church. There are some things that the church provides that you simply cannot get in other places. Let me just mention some things for you tonight. What are some things that the church provides for your edification? Well, first of all, the church gives you the teaching of the word, and we've already discussed that. But you don't get proper grounding in the faith except through the teaching of God's word, which comes through the church. Now, you might say, well, there are other avenues that we can get the teaching of the word. What about colleges? What about church or what about Bible colleges? What about seminaries? Well, we, we kind of covered that in the first message that the only way that those things are useful to us is as they are connected to the church. There's nobody that has the authority for teaching the word of God unless they're attached to the church. And so you can't include that for teaching unless they have the authority, unless they're authorized by God's church. But for those of you that can't go to that kind of a Bible college, one that's operated by a good church, if you can't do that, well, the place where the rubber meets the road of real gospel teaching is right here in your church. If you stay here, if you listen, if you ask questions, if you're faithful to come to church, if you attend, if you apply yourself, then you can get what you need in your church. The Lord's churches survived for centuries without Bible colleges. I mean, it's not as if the church doesn't know how to do this. I mean, this is the way it was done. Uh, The church has been here for centuries before there were Bible colleges. So this is what God intended for the church to do. Well, admittedly, you have to look long and hard to find a church that still preaches the Bible. It's a tough thing to do today to find a church that sticks to doctrinal truth, but that is exactly what we are supposed to do. Now, what I'm not telling you, there's nothing at all wrong with good Bible colleges. We take advantage of those. But no matter how good a Bible college is, it does not replace the church. The Sunday school classes, the preaching of the word from the pulpit, even listening to prayers, those can all help you. They'll build up your life if you just care to use those. Now, of course, it's not true, These things that I'm talking to you about wouldn't be helpful in a church where the pastor has no ability to do anything other than to preach the the latest thing that he read in the newspaper or to talk to you about the morals of the latest movie that he's seen or a novel that he just read. I mean, if the pastor is striving to be culturally relevant instead of biblically relevant, then you're not going to get what you need. What you need is the Bible. And so people need to choose churches that preach from the Bible and choose pastors that are not afraid to preach on any subject that the Bible touches on. See, all of Scripture is profitable. And so what we need to do is to find somebody who preaches all of it, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, from the dust to the ground, to the glories of heaven, from the depravity of man to the destruction of hell. We have to have all of that. That's the way that we're built up in the faith uh, uh, that and the knowledge that God wants us to have. Well, what else do you get from the church? Well, next you get the ordinances of the faith. Now, first of all, you get baptism from the church. We're going to study the ordinances in the next couple of messages, so I'll just be brief about it here. Only the church has the authority to baptize. Well, since baptism is the first command that is given in the Scripture for a new convert then we'd better be sure to go get it. And the only place that you can get it is from the church. Now, the the Great Commission supplies the mandate for it. It tells us to go and to teach people and to baptize them. And that commission was given to the church. They and the first teachers were the apostles of the church. And so Christ, uh, the Christian rather, is edified through baptism because that's a step of faith. So we don't expect people to grow that refuse to be baptized. I I quite frankly seriously doubt the salvation of anyone that has baptism put before them as a command that Christ has given, and they say, well, no, I don't want to be baptized. I'd have a hard time believing that person is actually a Christian. Now, we read, unfortunately, about thousands of people that are saved in India, for instance, And our missionary sends back a report where there are very, very few baptisms. And we would ask why. Well, he knows that we're going to ask why. And so he sends an explanation and he says it's because of lack of water. Well, Philip found water in a desert. And and I might be wrong about this, but I think the problem is really more likely a lack of true conversion and a lack of real commitment that's brought on by a true conversion. We look in the Scripture and we see that Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized. You don't think a person could be driven 60 miles or whatever it takes to find enough water to be baptized? So I really have a problem with that. Well, we have the other church ordinance, and that's the Lord's Supper. And the only place that is authorized to administer the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Church. I'll have more of a treatment on that later, but you have to be a member of the church in order to receive the communion. Well, does the Lord's Supper edify us? Does taking that, participating in it, edify it? Edify us? Well, I think the Apostle Paul would definitely affirm that. Uh, any person even here that's been through the Lord's Supper service where we solemnly sing the songs and where you pray a prayer of confession and then you watch in silence as the bread is broken and as the cup is poured, wouldn't you say that that touches your heart? I mean, doesn't that do something for you to see all of that take place? Doesn't it remind you of Christ, and doesn't that bring you closer to the Lord? If you can sit through communion service and think of all that that represents and see what goes on and not have your heart spoken to, then there's something wrong with you. Maybe you aren't saved if that doesn't do something to you. But that's part of the ordinances of the church, and you can't get those any place else but the Lord's church. Now, the third work that the church or ministry of edification that the church has for you that we don't get any place else is the work of evangelism. And again, we've talked about that, so I'll just mention it briefly. Only the church is authorized to evangelize, and you're edified by evangelism because there isn't anything that you can do that'll make you closer to the Lord than reproduction. Make converts, obey the commission, and see what that does for your spiritual life. And that's what our outreach training is about. And through that, uh, we've already seen a lot of happy faces. Now, perhaps you might be a Christian that struggles with sin because you have led a life that causes your evangelism to be ineffective. Now, these are two things that work hand in hand. Evangelism will make you closer to the Lord, and that closeness to the Lord will make you holy. You can't get close to the Lord without being holy. And that's one of the things that evangelism will do for you. Well, how else are you edified in the church? Well, the fourth way is that you have a life of commitment. Membership in the church helps you to grow because you're committed to the work of Christ. Now, quite honestly, I have never seen anything that was accomplished by stay-at-home Christians. I've never seen anything. And that's because a lack of commitment fuels the lack of desire. Commitment means responsibility. When you know that others count on you, when you know that your work is vital to the, the ministry, doesn't that sense of belonging that you get from being in the church doesn't that spur you on to do greater things for the lord and when you see the results of that labor doesn't that want you to do greater things i mean there there's a a great value in accountability and church makes you accountable your commitment to the church makes you accountable your commitment puts you under the scrutiny of the church it subjects you to church discipline and those are things that you actually desire if you are a born-again christian Listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness." "...and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now notice that statement. These things will make you so that you are not barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's edification, being fruitful. Coming to the knowledge of Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So these are all things that you get from the church. The church helps you to build these qualities of the faith. Now, lastly, what do you get from the church? And, and, And we could mention a lot of other things, but we'll conclude with this one. What do you get from the church? You get fellowship with the saints. You can't get that anyplace else but in God's church. See, God's people are edified by fellowship with those that have the same faith. Encouragement comes from your fellowship with other believers. Now, you think about that. Those of you that are members of a church for a while, I mean, where where do you find people that help you when you're hurting? Where, Where do you find someone who has compassion on you because you've lost a loved one? And where do you find people that are willing to sit down with you when you really need somebody to pray with you and intercede to the Lord on your behalf? You get that from the church. You know, it's such a peculiar thing that we actually find that there are people outside of the church that sometimes send us prayer requests. You know why they do it? Because they expect that there is help in the church. They're not even members of the church, but they understand this. So does it help your spiritual growth when you know that others are looking over you? That's part of the work of the church. So we have a ministry of edification that that people can't afford to be without. And you know something else? You can come to church and you can think that everybody has failed you and you're not getting from the church what you think that you ought to get. Have you ever stopped to think about that, that, that you are supposed to give to others? Who have you helped? I mean, when you start complaining about things, well, I don't think the church is treating me right. I don't think I'm getting what I should. Then stop to think for just a minute. Who have you helped? That's your job too. And, And it's not just that you get things, but you also give. You'll be blessed. You'll be edified when you help others, even if you never get anything in return. A few weeks ago, I talked with some former members of the church. Uh, they left the church and they said, we have a problem with the community of the church. Now, what they meant was they thought that they had been shortchanged with care and concern. Now, I apologize to anybody who thinks that we haven't treated them well, but do you know that there are some people that want to suck everything out of the church and never give anything in return? And did you know that the scriptures are chock full of commandments about giving? but very few about receiving. You look at the life of the Apostle Paul and you think, well, who is more needful than Paul? Look at all the ministry that he had, the hardships that he went through, and the great difficulties of trying to get the gospel to so many people in different places of the world. He was a very needy person. But you know what he said? Here's the, here's the message that he gave to the Ephesian elders when he was meeting them for the last time. He said, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, that's edification, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. In other words, Paul is saying, I I never ask anything from you. I never ask you to supply anything for me. He said I've taken care of myself, and that's what one of the things Paul did. He worked as a tent maker to help uh, help support himself to go his own way. Verse thirty-five: I've showed you all things. How that so laboring, you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." Here's what you find out: people that are engaged in helping others are not easily offended. If you're busy trying to help other people, you're not going to have time to think about how much that you've been shortchanged. People that are busy working for the Lord, you don't easily offend those kind of people. So I'm really sorry if we have people in the church that feel that the church hasn't treated them right, but I think we all need to remember this, that every one of us here is here to serve and not to be served. Now, eventually in that, of course, somebody's going to be served, but we don't come here to be served. We come here to be servants of others. That, that's the example that Christ gave us. And so if you think that the only way that you're ever going to work in the church is you have to figure out, am I going to get something in return for this? Is there something in it for me? And that has to be before you're able to serve someone else, then I have to tell you, you need to go back to the cross. You need to go back and see if you have nailed yourself to the cross. Try that and see if you aren't edified. So exaltation, reconciliation, salvation, edification, that's the ministry of the church. You know, I think that we're greatly privileged to be a part of the work that God has to do in the world. It's a wonderful privilege to be a part of, of, of Christ's church. I mean, we have this great ministry where we can help people to, to come to eternal life, men and women, boys and girls that can know Christ, and to think that God would do this, that he would take us, that we're such unworthy sinners, we were so low, and God would take us and use us for such high and holy purposes. I can only say the grace of God is surely amazing. And you think about this, is it really a chore to serve Christ? I think Christians act like that a lot, don't we? Oh, it's just a pain to get to church. It's so hard to get there and do what I have to do to study for my Sunday school class or come to choir practice or even show up for a church service. That is just so difficult to do. Is it really a chore to serve Christ? I mean, really, folks to be in the service of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he lets you do that, God's grace is truly amazing. And then he rewards us as well. Can't beat that. It's great to be in the Lord's church, great place to be, and we're honored to be in this ministry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and we thank you for this, that you have allowed us to have a part of this ministry We thank you, Lord, that you've made us a part of reconciling people to you. As we've just stated in the message, you could have done it otherwise. You could have done it all by yourself. You could have restored us just like you restored the creation with no help from anywhere. But you've chosen to use us, given us a ministry, and then tell us that if we're faithful that you will bless us in ways that we can't even calculate. Lord, we thank you for that. And I do pray that all members of Berean Baptist Church would recognize what a great privilege it is to know you and have a part of working in your church. May may that privilege really, really prick our hearts and cause us to want to do more and more for you. May out of gratitude for the love and mercy that you've shown in saving our souls that we'd want to be a part, an active part of your church. Bless our people, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke, Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally,